Today we continue in our reflections upon the mysteries of the Holy Rosary. Today, reflecting particularly on the first glorious mystery, fittingly of course, the resurrection of our blessed Lord. The fruit of the mystery is faith. In the Gospels of the last couple of days, in speaking of the passion of our Lord, there was the indication that after our Lord was taken down from the cross, that he was taken a short distance away and buried in the tomb. And as we know, uh, in the Holy Land, as well as in many other places, when you find a holy site, you build a church on top of it. They were rather economical this time because the, place, the places are in close proximity, so they both fit in one single church. They didn't have to build a church for the resurrection, a, cruci- a church for the crucifixion. It's just one church, and they're just joined together uh, in that same place. So close are they in proximity, indeed, indeed, probably far from this side of the church to that side of the church, only the distance um, that separates them. And so uh, going in, we know that, that our Lord was crucified on Mount Calvary, right, to the, the place of the skull, Golgotha, known by many names. But, and so whenever going into the church, you ascend, uh, ascend up to the next floor, where one has kind of climbed the hill, so to speak, and they've kind of rounded out and made a chapel of the place. And you can go there and, and pray at the place where our Lord was crucified and, and place your hand into a hole under, under the main altar and touch the mountain, to touch the ground where our blessed Lord would have been crucified, where his precious blood would have poured out in witness to the forgiveness of our sins. Whenever one venerates that, so you, you leave and you depart, you go back down the stairs to go back down the hill. And you pass, uh, you pass a slab of rock kind of sticking out of the ground in the middle, uh, and there are several lampstands, kind of similar to our, our sanctuary lamp, hanging over, hanging over this slab of rock. And so uh, one might be kind of confused exactly what the thing is, but one simply has to look at it and raise their eyes to what is behind it, and it shows exactly what it is. It is the place of the burial, the place of the preparation of body, of our blessed Lord, because the painting indicates the crucifixion. They come down from the hill, they prepare his body, right? They, they clean him up, wrap him in the cloths, uh, all of the things that we know that they would do for the burial. They prepared him on that stone, and then the next piece of the puzzle is, of course, the tomb, which would be right around the corner from where we were. And so one goes to the tomb, and we arrived there that day. Again, we had made our stations of the cross early. Uh, we had begun, you know, before most of the buses at the hotel had even gotten out of the place. So we were kind of victorious. We were, you know, the front runners of, of the rest of the prayers for the day. And so we were excited, hoping that maybe the lines won't be so long. We'll be able to get into the places a bit quicker and spend some more time there. And to, this, and to some extent, this was true. But having gone to the place of the crucifixion, having gone to the, to the stone where our Lord's body was prepared, we then went to, uh, to the side where the tomb is present. And walking into the room where the tomb is, kind of a, a small chapel built around it in the center of the room, I would have immediately thought that the fruit of the mystery was patience instead of faith, because there were a lot of people there. And we were very, very close to the tomb but it took two hours to be able to actually get into the tomb. Even though we were early, it took two hours for us to get in. And so, I mean, close proximity to the tomb, we're reflecting on these things. It was praying with the scriptures on, on the mysteries of the resurrection, praying the rosary, offering divine mercy chaplet, talking to fellow pilgrims, checking email, because honestly, it kind of ran out of holy things to do and just was like, I wonder what's happening back home right now. And, you know, just kind of went with that, right? 
And so all of these things are kind of getting closer and closer to the tomb and finally able to get into the tomb itself. And part of the reason that it moves so slowly is because it's one way in and one way out. It only fits four, maybe five people at a time to be able to go in to pray for a moment and then to depart. And so it's a rather arduous process getting all of these people, you know, lined in together and then in and out uh, in in a relatively smooth fashion. And so it was my turn. I was, I was the fifth person, and they, they let me slide in there with them, and I think I was probably half in and half out the tomb because I'm not a particularly small man. And so, you know, I go in and knelt down to the tomb, and I prayed, I prayed for, for myself and my vocation. I prayed for our community here at St. Agnes, for our diocese, for our church, for the world, just, just entrusting all of these things to our blessed Lord. And all the things that were on my heart at the time, it was a rather quick prayer. It was probably quicker than that, just me saying the words just now. And then I prayed the Our Father. And then at the end of the Our Father, there's a priest behind us keeping track of time. And he slaps the wall to let you know, time's up, get out. Sometimes holy sights are not so holy feeling. And so, shimmy back out of the tomb and walk back out and just have to entrust that, that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, God's ways are not our ways, and God's time is not our time. And while I would have loved to have had much more time in the tomb, in the place where the resurrection actually happened, where the place where the faith came alive, literally in the person of Jesus Christ, I had to remember that if God wants to do anything with that time within me or through me, he can do it in much quicker than the time of our Father. I don't have to spend much time with him. I would like to, but he himself does not require it. And so, I trust him. I trust that whatever it is that he desired of that, of that encounter, that experience with him, that it was done. And we went and continued on with our, our pilgrim group and the rest of the church, continuing to reflect upon the mysteries that were present there in the holy sites and shrines. And so it was a great gift to be in that place of the resurrection, the place where, again, faith literally came to life in the most wondrous fashion. Even recent science surveying the the Shroud of Turin, said to be the the shroud in which our blessed Lord was buried, it said that, that the image pressed upon the shroud could only have been done so by an immense light, literally a burst of light. Christ, who said, I am the light of the world, came back to life in a burst of light. In that holy place, our faith is absolutely necessary for us. St. Paul tells us that if the resurrection is not true, our faith is in vain. If the resurrection is not true, my life is an absolute waste of time, as my life is dedicated to Christ in the church. If the, faith, if the resurrection is not true, you are wasting your time right now. And you've wasted plenty of it throughout the course of your years, whether in learning about Christ, praying to him, speaking to him, visiting church, or doing any number of other things that involve the faith of Christ. All of it would be in vain, but it is not in vain because the resurrection is true. It is even being proven more and more firmly in recent days. The fact of the resurrection. It is a wonderful marvel that demands of us faith but it is a truth nonetheless. 
This mystery encourages us in the faith because it is only by virtue of the resurrection that faith is possible. That faith means anything. Faith without the resurrection, again, would be silly. But because of the resurrection, faith has immense meaning for us. I'd like to take a moment to reflect more deeply upon this aspect of faith, especially shown throughout the generations who have gone before us, our ancestors in the faith. I would encourage all of you to to spend some time praying with this particular passage. It's Hebrews chapter 11. I seem to have moved my bookmark the last Mass. There we are, Hebrews 11. And so it begins with the definition of faith, which is helpful for us. The writer says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Continue. By faith we understand that the world was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made out of things which do not appear. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he received approval as righteous, God bearing witness by accepting his gifts. He died, but through his faith he is still speaking. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was attested as having pleased God, and without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, took heed and constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was to go. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore one man from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand on the, sea, on the seashore. These all died by, in faith, not having received what was promised, but having seen it and greeted it from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was ready to offer up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your descendants be named. He considered that God was able to raise men even from the dead. Hence, he received him back, and this was a symbol. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites 
and gave directions concerning his burial. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered abuse suffered for the sake of the Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer or the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? From time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, received promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in power, put foreign armies to flight, women received their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and scourging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering over deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All these, though well tested by their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had foreseen something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. All of those moments of faith, all of those individuals from the creation of the world until the time of our Lord, their faith was possible because of the resurrection. Their faith was possible because God is true, because God is loving, because God is faithful to us, because God is always with us. They knew this, and so it encouraged them. They were able to express their faith in the things that were not seen because they had encountered the God they could not see and placed their trust in Him because so many times before, they and their ancestors had experienced trusting in God paid off. If they trusted in Him, the thing in which they trusted came true. And so they exercised their faith, and wondrous things happened. As it says in the whole list of things, a whole list of marvels, all because of faith. Faith is powerful. Faith has immense power to transform us. If we're willing to place our faith in the Lord, Dramatic things certainly can happen, and they happen here. I'd like to reflect a moment particularly upon the faith of Abraham and Isaac in regards to the sacrifice of Isaac. Abraham, again, was told, as, the, as Hebrews told us, uh, reminds us, 
that Hebrew, that Abraham was told that, that he was going to be the father of great nations, that countless individuals, as numerous as stars of the sky, the sands of the shore of the sea, that as numerous as, as, as those things are, that would be the generations that would come forth from him. And they were told that they would come through Isaac. Isaac, to this point, had not had any children. And God said, kill him and offer him on a sacrifice. And Abraham said, okay. That is faith. Because as Hebrew reminds us, that Abraham believed that God could raise up children even from a dead man. And he did. Abraham collected all of his supplies and went up the mountain together with Isaac. Isaac being about 33 years of age according to Jewish custom. Jewish tradition held these things and that they, they climbed the mountain, ascended the mountain with the wood, with the fire, with uh, you know, Isaac being the victim. All of these things ready to, to ascend the mountain to make sacrifice. All of these things, these plans that Abraham had, had prepared, the Lord God told him and he trusted in him and he went. And everything that he had prepared by his hands was set aside at a moment's notice in the end. Abraham, having Isaac ready to cut his throat with the sword, is told by the angel, stop. Don't hurt the boy. Instead, he looks over and Abraham notices in the bush a ram caught by its horns, stuck in the thorns. And it's this. This is the gift that God has given. Abraham had prepared much, but God came with a better sacrifice. And certainly Isaac and Abraham were likely both relieved that Isaac was himself not the sacrifice. The lamb was offered that day, and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins as a covenant with the Lord. 2,000 years ago, another lamb came among us, and he too found himself tangled up in thorns, but not of a bush, but rather of the crown that had been placed upon his head. And he too was led out to be sacrificed. He died for us. Christ the Pasch, our lamb, has been slain. Alleluia. We rejoice that he has been slain because we know that he is the one in Revelation who, though slain, is still living. He, the one who has laid down his life, reigns victoriously in heaven because he has the power to lay down his life and he has the power to take it up again. It is that sacrifice that we offer here each week in Holy Mass. Every week the Lord calls us to come and offer ourselves to him. This is what the offertory in Mass is about. The priest and the deacon and the ministers in the sanctuary, they prepare the bread and the wine. But the faithful also make the offering of the collection, right? Putting our money in the basket and these things. And all of, this, all of these are the, the symbols uh, are the gift of ourselves, right? That's why the priest says, pray, brother, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable. We come with all the things that we need to offer to the Lord. We come to offer ourselves to him, to offer our family, to offer our friends, to offer our community, our neighborhood, our work, our school, all of the places where we find ourselves through the week. Friends and family who are in need, those who are in need that we don't know by name, but that we entrust them into the mercy of God. All of these we come week after week to be able to collect in the offertory, to place on the altar, to place in the chalice, and thus to be able to give God our gifts. And these are received. The sacrifice of Isaac is still called the sacrifice of Isaac. 
It was still received in the end, so to speak. Even though Isaac's blood was not shed, the sacrifice was still received and offered by God as a pleasing one because they were both willing to do it. It is a genuine sacrifice that was offered that day, even if in the, in the end, a more perfect sacrifice of the lamb was given. And so much the same here in Mass. As we come here, and the Lord God has also called us, he has called us to go out in faith, and we wander just like Abraham through the, through the pathways of this life, looking forward to the day where we'll be able to enter into the promised land, heaven. And with all of this, we gather up these needs, these intentions, these petitions, and the Lord God calls, tells us to come and to make offering to him every Sunday. And so we gather the things of our life and we bring them to present them again on the altar. But every Sunday, as we arrive here, every single Mass, a more perfect sacrifice is given to us instead. Our sacrifices are received, but the more pleasing one that is given to us is the Lamb, an imitation of the Lamb that Abraham received from the hands of God the Father. The Lamb, Jesus, is given to us. He is the perfect victim, the spotless one, the immaculate one, the sinless one. He is given to us by God the Father so that we can offer back to the Father the best gift possible. He wants us to be pleasing to him, and so he makes it easy for us. Indeed, our gifts are acceptable, but the perfect gift, the most powerful gift, is the gift of Christ. It's Jesus who is given to us, and it's Jesus that we're able to take and to lift back up to the Father. The elevation of the host and the chalice, the doxology at the end, these moments are opportunities for us to be able to lift Christ to the Father and to say, Father, we have everything that we have brought, but it pales in comparison to the value of Christ. He is our hope. He is our salvation. He is the one who makes all of these things possible. He and He alone is the strength for our faith. He allows us to come here. We lift Him up, Father. May it be pleasing in your sight. And then we receive of the flesh of Christ in the Eucharist. It is his resurrected flesh. It is his glorious body in a way that we cannot truly fathom. If it was not the resurrection, Christ would be dead and we would be eating bread. But because of the resurrection, our faith is true. And we receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, our God, the Lamb who was slain for us. Every Mass, we receive the fruits of the resurrection physically in the Eucharist. And we also receive the gift of our faith. It's the faith of Christ that is given to us. It's the, it's the, the grace of Christ that comes to strengthen us in the times of trials. To strengthen us in those moments where we are tested, where we have trials that are put to us and we cannot see what is ahead of us where we wander out into the wilderness like Abraham, not knowing where we are to go, but knowing that God is faithful. We come here and we place our trust in him. We receive him and we ask him that prayer week after week, Lord, increase my faith. 